My topic today is the power of your vision. If you have your Bibles, join me in Nehemiah chapter 1. The Bible has a lot to say about vision. I love what Solomon tells us in Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Solomon says, Where there is no vision, no revelation of God and His Word, the people are unrestrained. Solomon is telling us that people, individuals, families need vision. The verse is also telling us that organizations, corporations, churches need vision. Think about a dog that's roaming around outside, having no leash and no owner holding the dog. That dog can run any direction it chooses. It can cause all kinds of trouble. Why? Because it is unrestrained. The same thing takes place in you, in me, in us, when we have no vision. We're unrestrained. We go in every direction rather than in a focused way. I want us to take a look at the life of Nehemiah, particularly the beginning stage of his adventure. Because we're going to see how vision is birthed in him. And there's some cues we can draw from his life that we can see applied to our own lives. And so chapter 1 verse 1 says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I want us to, to join Nehemiah to feel what he felt, to experience what he experienced. Scripture says he was in the citadel of Susa. That was the winter palace of the Persian king, the king of Babylon. It's the location today of the southwestern part of Iran. Nehemiah, his job was a cupbearer. In case you may not know what that is, it's not a nice job. It's a job of a slave. So Nehemiah was actually a prisoner of war brought from Jerusalem into Babylon against his will. The cupbearer's job was to take a flask of wine having been trained for quite some time, and he then is, goes into the courtroom of the king. Take the flask of wine, pour a little bit on his wrist, sip it. If it was poisoned, he would die. The king would know, don't drink that wine. I don't think you'd want the job of a cupbearer, because every time the king is thirsty, your life is jeopardized. At some level, Nehemiah had the ability to entertain his own private guest 
in the servant, servant quarters. Hanani, one of his Jewish brothers, had come from Jerusalem. And you know how it is when you reacquaint yourself with someone that you're familiar with. You talk about a lot of things, you joke, you laugh, and then conversation gets very serious very quickly. Nehemiah poses a question. How are the people back home? How is Jerusalem? Maybe Hanani's voice crackled when he spoke. Maybe his eyes looked down because it wasn't good news. He said to Nehemiah, the people back home are in trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. When Nehemiah heard that, the scripture says he sat down and wept. The imagery is not that he just sat right there. Because when the Hebrew people wept or cried in Bible days, they didn't weep silently like you and I may weep and no one really knows that we're crying unless they see us. He had to find some private area among the servants' quarters, in the recesses of the servants' quarters, because when a Hebrew person wept, they bawled. It was loud wailing. And Nehemiah sat down and he wailed. Something had happened inside of him when he heard what Ananias said, and it so troubled him that he couldn't compose himself. He couldn't keep his emotions in check. He was undone. You may ask, what happened in him? As I talk about the power of vision, one of the best ways to understand it is by asking questions. First question, what is vision? Because that's what happened to Nehemiah. Vision was awakened in him. Something grabbed hold of his heart that so messed him up that was... That, that, that was, it, it caused deep change. It was irreversible. He could not go back to what he was. He couldn't go back to that quaffered living in just staying in the palace with all of its palatial features and architecture and tapestry and marble surroundings. It, that wasn't impressive to him any longer because what happened to him was when he heard about what was going on back home, Vision to bring change. And that's the answer to the question. What is vision? Vision is something that is realistic, credible, attractive, that points to a future. In other words, how things are today, when I have vision, vision says how things are today will not remain that way tomorrow. I'm going to do something about what I feel. I'm going to do something about what troubles me. And when we look at the scripture to be technical, vision is awakened in us. We discover it. And vision is always attached to a people. It's always attached to a place. And it's always attached to a problem. Anytime you know you have vision, it's about fixing a place, addressing a people, solving a problem. And vision is awakened that way. Henry David Thoreau put it this way. It's not enough to be busy. So are the ants. The question is, what are we busy about? What's your vision? Well, what, what, what keeps you up at nights? Because vision is the blueprint of your future. See, the two most important days of your life is the day that you're born 
And as Mark Twain says, and the day you discover why. You're going to know why. Why are you here on this planet? Well, why did God in His infinite wisdom allow you to be born? Why now? Why here? Why in this generation? Why in this century? What is behind the genius of God? See, vision, it's a blueprint of your future. It's bigger than happiness. It's bigger than personal fulfillment. It's bigger than your peace of mind. It's bigger than family. Vision is about an attractive future state that you're going to bring about because what's inside of you pulsates so much it looks to express itself. See, vision is the seedling of a great purpose. Nehemiah sat down. He just bawled. Scripture says it was the month Kislev. That's around November, December in our calendar year. Then when we go to chapter 2 of Nehemiah and verse 1, he says it was the month Nisan, which is when he went before the king. And Nisan is March, April. So from November, December to March, April, about four months, this man was fasting, seeking God, crying out to God because something had got hold of his heart. And what was it? He had to do, about, do something about the walls in Jerusalem that were broken down. The gates that were burned by fire. And the reason why he had to do something, because the people were in disgrace, filled with shame without the walls around the perimeter of their society. Because an unwalled city in Bible days is very important. Nehemiah had to do something. Why are walls important? Walls provided safety from wild animals. So that means that the people are in trouble. Wild animals are coming in the city and dragging people away, kids and men and women, and devouring them. Walls provided protection. Protection from neighboring cities, neighboring villages, neighboring countries that would come in and kidnap or steal or kill or bring, drag people away into slavery. So Nehemiah recognized the necessity of wall. It's like you having a house without a door. Can you imagine? I'm walking by your house. I'm, hey, what are you doing in there? What are you cooking? Man, that looks good. Why are you watching that? And I just plop myself down in your house. No door. Walls provided a boundary. A boundary for the city. Jerusalem had no perimeter. When you say to people, I live in Jerusalem, they say, where's that? You have to say, it's over there. There are no walls that defined it, no boundaries. And so it created a sense of, of shame and disgrace. And walls also provided unity. Unity in terms of theologically, philosophically, worldview. Because without walls, you would have then the byproduct of syncretistic thinking, an amalgamation of thoughts and worldviews that's so disjointed, all mixed up. Everybody over there, they're all mixed up. They think the same thing, they, or they think so differently, rather. They think so disjointedly. You don't know. It's like me saying to you, think like a New Yorker. Everybody has an image that comes to mind. My wife and I were at a conference a couple of months ago, and she was supposed to speak that morning. And there was a, most of the people in the conference were from New York. And most of the speakers, 99%, were men. She was the only woman. And so this New York lady walked up to her and just looked at her, eyeball to eyeball, and, said, and she said to her, you know what you got to do, right? 
I mean, that's how New Yorkers are. In other words, you know what you got to do, right? In other words, you are the only woman here. You better represent. You, you know what you got to do, right? So, so she, she, and she said to me, what she, I said, yeah, I understood what she meant. Because Marlon is from New Jersey. I said, I got it. That's code language. That means you better hit the ball. And so without walls, Jerusalem was a mess. Nehemiah wept because he felt like I got to do something. I know I'm a simple cupbearer, but I got to do something. I know my position's one of servitude, but, but this thing inside of me, it, it troubles me. And sometimes we, we exempt ourselves from our vision because we start looking at ourselves as nobodies. You got this thing inside your, your, your bosom pulsating, and you got this drive, this goal, this passion, this idea, this inclination, this, the, the, the sense of, I, I got to do something. And then all of a sudden you start rationalizing, but nobody knows who I am. But, but I, I don't have any degrees. I, I don't have money. I, I don't have a place of status. I, I don't have any influence. Stop it. That self-talk it's a detriment to vision. Nehemiah had none of those things. But oh, he had a relationship with God. See, what you need is to know whom you belong to. You need to know who is on your side. You need to know who you partner with. And when God allows you to feel something, particularly about people that are hurting, you know God backs Everybody who wants to bring change that's positive to people. That's why? Because people are God's highest commodity. And when he gives you a dream, a goal, a passion, a vision, and it's about changing lives, improving lives, you better believe it. God's backing you. You better believe it. God's setting you up. You better believe it. God's preparing you because God's not looking for the mighty because they'll think it's in their own strength. God's not looking for the powerful. They'll think it's in their own strength. God's looking for the person who says, God, the only way this is going to come about is that you do something through me. I make myself available to you, God, in all of your wisdom, all of your glory, all of your power. I give myself to you. I want you to see how this thing works. It works when you don't understand. So what is vision? Vision is when something in your soul aches to be expressed. Vision is when something in your soul, it cries out to do something big. And it's beyond you. I remember when I discovered what my vision was. I was 24 years old. Married two and a half years. No children. Marlinda's expecting our first daughter. We have two children, they're adults now, two daughters. She's expecting our first daughter, and she had all these cravings for different kinds of foods. And she said, honey, would you go to the store and buy these things? She gave me this list of all odd things that shouldn't even be on the same piece of paper. <laughs> and so I'm trying to be a good husband, so I said, yes, dear. So I grabbed the list, and I'm going to the supermarket, and I get there, I pick up one of those little red hand baskets. And by the way, the church was only two weeks old at the time. I couldn't even spell church. I really didn't understand. 
Didn't even know that I needed a vision. What's that? And so I'm in the grocery store. I'm taking things off the shelf and putting in the little basket. I'm just putting in the basket. I get to one aisle. I reach up. I take the item off the shelf. I put it in the basket. And I just happen to look down the other end of the aisle. And it was so clear what I saw. I saw blacks. I saw whites. I saw Asians. I saw Latinos. I saw biracial people. It was so clear. And I heard for one of the first times in my life the audible voice of God. David, why can't it be like that in my house? I started weeping uncontrollably. I couldn't hold back the tears. I wasn't thinking about diversity in the church. I wasn't thinking about how races can be able to come together under the umbrella of Christ in one church and be a model of reconciliation. It was never on my mind. And God put on me that afternoon one of the major problems in his house. I couldn't hold back my tears. And I want you to understand my personality. I, I, I'm one of those stoic guys, you know. I'm the guy when you watch Star Trek, I'm the Vulcan. <laughs> Just the facts. Don't talk about emotions. Just give me the facts. On top of that, being of Jamaican descent and Jamaica was colonized by the British, my, my, my culture is British. And so British culture is, it, it's, you don't show emotions publicly. And so I got personality, I got your know, culture, and here I am now. I'm weeping uncontrolled with tears, and I'm, I couldn't hold it back. God chose the most unorthodox place to mess me up. Why can't you do it when I'm at home by myself? So I have some idea of how Nehemiah felt. When I got home, I told Marlinda what happened to me. I remember us holding hands and just weeping together because I was still so messed up. And I began to chase after that vision, and I'm still chasing it. Why can't it be like that? Because God gave me my assignment. My assignment is to bring people together that are not normally together. If you look around this room, there's over 70 different nationalities that call Christ Church home. Because our mission as a church is that Christ Church exists to unite people to God and people to people. Simple, straightforward. And you may say, well, it's easy. Oh, yeah? It's not that easy. So what is vision? Vision is the stuff that keeps you up at nights. There's a second question that emerges from the text. Why is vision powerful? I offer several answers. Because it cries for expression. It's like a baby in the womb. Regardless of what the mom thinks, what she feels, that baby's going to grow and be expressed. She's going to have to give birth and oftentimes through pain. Vision's powerful because it 
must give expression to itself. The oak sleeps in the acorn. The bird waits in the egg. The powerful man is hidden in the little boy. That powerful girl is tucked away in that, or that powerful woman is tucked away in that little girl. And so you as a parent, you need to know, don't just look at that little baby or that little the teenager and think, oh, that's a teenager. No, that's a powerful woman in the making. And you need to know the right dose of love, the right dose of environment, the right dose of prayer, the right dose of kindness. And all of a sudden, flowering out of that little girl is a powerful woman that may be president of the United States or head of a corporation or shaker and a mover or world evangelist. I want you to know that you need to see that vision. It's powerful because it must give expression to itself. Moved by tears, fasting and prayer, Nehemiah, he needed a strategy and permission to return home to Jerusalem. He's crying out to God, doesn't know how, doesn't know when, has no idea, has no ability of him, of, in his, his own strength. And after a lot of prayer and fasting, when he goes into his duty to pour wine to the king, his face is saddened. Chapter 2 says, and the king questions him, why are you sad? Nehemiah says, because of what's going on back home with my people. King says, what do you want to do about it? He says, king, please grant me leave that I may go home and rebuild the walls, rehang the gates, and change the city. The king says, done. I'll give you money. In fact, I give you a title, governor, so that you can go there and make things happen, that nobody bothers you. I, I give you also access to ASAP, the keeper of the king's forest, so he can give you all the lumber you want. And I'll give you soldiers to go along with you so that nobody troubles you en route to Jerusalem. Could you imagine that? Here's a cupbearer. After prayer and fasting, I want you to see how powerful God is. Why are you allowing yourself to get sucked into this thinking that, oh, I can't get anything done. I can't do anything. I'm a nobody. Let me tell you the power of vision. The power of vision is that it takes a cupbearer and turns him into a city builder. The power of vision is that it takes a slave and makes him a deliverer. See, vision is powerful. Vision makes champions. Why? Something inside of you that says, I can't stay mediocre. I can't stay unfulfilled. I must get my mission accomplished with the glory of God. I want to come alongside and encourage you today. There's someone here, someone watching that needs to hear a word from the Lord and how powerful vision is. I love what Muhammad Ali says. Champions aren't made in gyms. Champions are made from something they have deep inside them. A desire, a dream, a vision. They have to have the skill and the will. But the will must be stronger than the skill. See, that's what you need. You need will. You need a fighting spirit. That's the DNA of a child of God. Scripture says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up again. I'm saying to you, get up. I'm saying to you, get up. 
You have a vision from God. The vision's bigger than you. The bigger vision is bigger than your enemies. You serve an awesome God, King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha and the Omega, first and the last, you know, the beginning and the end. Why are you quitting? Why are you quitting? Get up. Don't throw that towel in. Get up. I don't care what you have had to struggle with, whether it was drugs or alcohol or broken relationships. Don't let that kill you. Get up. There's a vision inside of you that's from God. The reason why vision is powerful is because it battles for its true identity. See, in Nehemiah's day, the Jewish people that he rallied to in Jerusalem to rebuild the walls alongside of him and to help him, they had to deal with a lot of stuff, junk. In fact, they had to battle for their true identity because there were detractors in their region. And these detractors kept saying nasty things to Nehemiah and the Jewish leaders. They said things like this, what are these weak Jews doing? They said things in Nehemiah 4 verse 2 like, can they, can they bring stones back to life from piles of trash and ashes? Because in prior years the stones of the wall were burned. And so they had to take off all the burnt marks and make these stones you know, fix and fit for wall, for, for the building of the wall. They said things like this to Nehemiah and his friends. If a fox climbed up on that wall, it'll crumble. Nehemiah, in chapter 6, verse 3, here was his response to his detractors. So I sent messengers to them with this answer. I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. I don't want the work to stop while I leave to meet you. In other words, what Nehemiah is saying, look, I don't care what you said. And I don't want to waste time meeting with you and arguing with you. I, I'm doing a great work. See, you got to believe in what you're doing. You got to believe in your vision. You have to believe in your assignment. You have to believe that it's valuable. And, and, and Mark Twain was right when he says, keep away from people who be, try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that. But the really great make you feel like you too can become great. That's how you know when you're in the presence of greatness. They pick you up. When you know you're in the presence of smallness, they push you down. Small people push down, big people pull up. Small people push down, big people raise up. Come on, help me now. Small people push down, big people raise up. Small people push down, big people raise up. Be a big person. Raise people up. Raise up your kids. Raise up your boss. Raise up the people around you. Raise up your spouse. Raise up your church. Raise them up to show your bigness. Small people push others down. Talk about them derogatively. Speak about them negatively. Don't reduce yourself to smallness. You are bigger than that. You're better than that. You are a big man. You are a big woman in the eyes of God. And so raise people up. And when you do that, that's what Nehemiah was doing. He was demonstrating social justice to his environment. See, social justice is when you're calling your leaders to represent the people. Social justice is when you're protecting the people around you. Social justice is when you overthrow the people's enemies. Social justice is when you provide up opportunities for the people. Nehemiah was an excellent example of a leader that, de that demonstrated social justice. I've answered two questions already from the text. Question number one, what is vision? Question number two, why is vision powerful? Vision is powerful because it... It annihilates things that get in its way. Third and final answer, 
our third and final question, how is vision protected? See, vision is so valuable, you got to protect it. It's like a priceless heirloom in your house. you got to protect it. I love what Nehemiah says in chapter 4, verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. See, Nehemiah, he was such a galvanizing leader, bringing people together to fulfill it. Because what did vision do? Vision rebuilt a city. It started from the seed of, a, of an idea. What would happen if God used me? What would happen if I let God get a hold of all of me? So to protect vision, you must stay focused. One of the biggest enemies to vision is opportunities. I know so many people that get sidetracked by opportunities. Opportunities come because you're gifted. But the allure of opportunities is that you feel excited that someone wants you, someone admires you, someone likes you, someone really thinks that you got what it takes. It's good, it's nice, feels good. Here's the problem. If an opportunity is not aligned with your vision and destiny, it pulls you away. And here you are, one year has gone by, two years have gone by, five years have gone by, a decade has passed, and here you are, so far afield of your vision. And I'm saying, be careful then that opportunities don't pull you away. So to protect vision, stay focused. Nehemiah did not come down. I love what Alvin Toffler says, popular writer and business leader. He says, you've got to think about big things while you're doing small things. So all the small things go in the right direction. Remember, uh, you have this tremendous vision. Don't let small things pull you afield. Stay focused. Stay connected. Stay aligned with God's plan. And when you do that, big things happen. Because God gets a hold of you. One of the late evangelists named Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman was in England one year. And he had an audience with William Booth, General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. Booth was up there in his 80s by this time, and he was very frail. So Chapman was so happy to have the audience, a one-on-one conversation, and so he wanted to use his time wisely, so he got right to the chase. He said, General Booth, what would you say is the secret of your success? The old man paused. He hesitated a second. And Chapman says, I saw the tears come into his eyes and steal down his cheek. And he said to him, I will tell you the secret. God has all of there is of me. See, William Booth said, there have been men with greater brains than me. Men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And a change was made. So I want to encourage you today that the Holy Spirit wants to have all of you. So the Holy Spirit can use you for God's glory. God has a plan for your life. 
And so when you give yourself to him, all of who you are, he can take your life and make it something more majestic and more powerful like he did to Nehemiah of old. Ladies and gentlemen, these three simple questions must be answered by each of us in our own context. What is vision? Why is vision powerful? And that question must be answered, how is vision protected? And you protect it by staying focused. You protect it by ensuring that you give yourself totally to God, that he may work in you totally for what he created you to do and to be. I'd love the opportunity to pray with you today.